And I want to say at the outset of the service, thank you for coming. And I mean that from the depths of my heart. I love going to church with you guys, and I know that on a morning like this, it's so easy to hear the rain falling and pull the, you know, cut the clock off, pull the covers up and go, thank you, God, for a free day that I don't have to go to church. Well, you guys brave the weather, and you're here, and, and I appreciate that so very, very much. I think most of you know that we're in the midst of a sermon series uh, entitled Your Journey. And uh, the Bible teaches that life is a journey. And I believe that each of us can describe our current journey one of three ways. First, uh, maybe we're running from God. Uh, God's been asking something of us that we don't want to do or we don't want to give. And so we're just trying our best to distance ourselves from God. Maybe that's a description of your journey. Or number two, maybe you're on your way back to God. You used a little foresight one day and realized that the direction I've chosen isn't taking me to the destination I want to go. And so you changed the direction of your journey and you've started back to Him. That's where you're at. Man, I'm trying to make my way back to God. Or perhaps, I guess a third description could be you're walking with God. You and God have reconciled. There's nothing between you. And uh, every day you're just walking closely with him. In this series, I'm speaking primarily to those who would say, I guess, Ronnie, I'm running from God. Or, Ronnie, I'm trying my best to get back to God. Because in this series, this question I'm trying to answer is, how can someone who's far from God ever reconcile with him? How can that happen? Uh, In the first two sermons, I've used the often overlooked New Testament book of Philemon to begin illuminating the way back to God. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Philemon, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. You ready? There's a man named Paul wrote a letter to a man named Philemon with half a man named Onesimus. You got it? (laughs) Now, the objective of, of the letter was Paul wanted to reconcile Onesimus with Philemon, and apparently he succeeded at that. And uh, in the last sermon, we saw that Onesimus' reconciliation with Philemon clearly illustrates how someone who is far from God can reconcile with him. And in the story of these three men and what happened between them, we learned three very important things. Reconciliation requires a little help, a little faith, and a little forgiveness. Now this morning, what I want to do is turn the series in our direction. I mean, we've looked at Paul, and we've looked at Philemon, and we've looked at Onesimus, and now I want to turn this whole series toward us. What has all of this got to do with us? And so this morning, I want to share, start sharing some basic facts with you. And I tell you, that word alone, I think, can strike terror into the church member's heart. This morning, we're getting facts. Well, we need the facts. And so here's some facts. Fact number one, we're all sinners. I want to read you a verse found in the New Testament, book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. The Apostle Paul said, for, you reading it? Huh? Everyone has sinned. Now, you thought it was just you, didn't you? For everyone has sinned. We 
fall short of God's glorious standard. I know something about you. You've sinned. You know something about me. I have too. God said, don't. And we did. He said, do. And we didn't. We've all sinned. Do you know why we do that? We were born to sin. It was bred into us. You receive that you inherited this tendency to sin from your parents. Now, I know what Stephen just thought. You lay off my mom and daddy. Let me tell you one thing. They had the same tendency in them. They inherited that tendency or bent towards sin from their parents. You go, wait a minute, that's my grandpa you're talking about now? He had it too. If we trace our family tree back far enough, we will learn that we all inherited this bent towards sin from our ancestors, Adam and Eve. We are natural born sinners. Now, Add to that the fact that we live in a society that glamorizes, encourages, and applauds sin. We have this this desire within us to sin, and we live in a society that says, Go ahead. Enjoy yourself. Do whatever you want. Top that off with the fact that we all have an invisible enemy named Satan who never takes a break. He's constantly looking for creative, effective ways to tempt us to sin. Put all those factors together and it's just a matter of time. Every one of us has sinned. Am I telling you the truth? Huh? Fact number two. Sin separated us from God. I want to read three verses from the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. They're going to be on the screen. It said, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by Christ's blood on the cross. Now listen to this. Listen to what he said. Apostle Paul then said, This includes you. Say, who? You. This includes you who were far Away from God. That's how Paul describes us when we were unsaved. He said, you guys were far away from God. Look at this next statement because you're not going to believe it. Paul said, you were his enemies. Prior to reconciling with God, the Bible said, now I know what some of you are thinking, but he's awful judgmental saying that we're the enemies of God. I'm reading that from a book. It didn't originate with me. But I do think we need to understand this. Before we were reconciled with God, we were viewed as God's enemies. Now look at this next statement. Separated from Him. How did that happen? By your evil thoughts and actions. In other words, our sins drove a wedge between us and God. Not only were we born to sin, but according to the great theologian Bruce Springsteen, we were also born to run. Now, some of you are too young to get that. Some of you are too old to get that. So I'm kind of in a rock and roll twilight zone here. At some point in our lives, every one of us were runaways. We were on the run from God. 
It's just what sinners do. You remember the first sermon I told you about Adam and Eve and when they committed the very first sin that, that the human race ever committed? When God showed up, how did they react? They took off running. We want to put some distance between ourselves and God. And ever since that moment, it's just what sinners do. They try their best to get away from God. Why do we run? Multiple reasons, fear, shame. Maybe we're just rebellious in nature. I think that could be a part of it. And where does this running get us? Now, you read it with me just a moment ago, far from God. That's where it gets us. Far away from God. We sin, we run, we end up miles from God. And being far from God is a very costly place to be. Paul said in the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 12, that as long as you and I were far from God, we were excluded from the rich, satisfying, full life that God wanted human beings to experience. Excluded from that. We cheated ourselves out of that. But being far from God is not just a costly place to be, it's a dangerous place to be. Because if we die in that state, we will be eternally separated from God in a horrifying place called hell. And that's a fact. Fact number three. Now, is everybody still with me? Good. Fact number three, and we mentioned this in the first sermon, we can't outrun God. I got good news for you. God doesn't give up on runaways. How many would say, thank him for that? I thank him for that. God does not give up on runaways. Uh, quite the contrary, he pursues runaways. In the New Testament, runaways are often described with the word lost. And you, you know what Jesus said about the lost? He said, it is my eternal purpose to seek and save those who are lost. As a shepherd would go in search of one lost sheep in the hope of bringing them back into the flock, Jesus goes in search of the runaways in hope of bringing them back into the family of God. Jesus is going to pursue us. He's going to. And when he does, there's no such thing as hiding. He's going to find us. Uh, You can't outlast him. He's relentless. You can't outrun him. He's going to catch up with you. And, and I'll tell you what he'll do. Uh, as you were running, as I, as I was running, uh, God may just drop someone right in the middle of our path who points us in the right direction, who brings it to our attention. Whoa, 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 you don't want to go this way. This is away from God. You need to go that way. You need to get back to him. I think that's what happened with Onesimus. We talked about it in the first sermon that he was probably more, he was more likely running from God than he was Philemon. And what did he do? He ran right to Rome and he runs into the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul said, whoa, boy, this is not the right way. You're getting further and further away from the one, you know, from, from who you need to be running to. You need to get back to God. I think that's what Scott just said in his testimony. I was running from God and I ran slap into Gerald Tao. Who politely pointed out to me, Scott, this is you're on the wrong road. You need to be going that way. Sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes it's not someone, it's something. The New Testament tells a story about a kid. We call him the prodigal son. Anybody ever heard of the prodigal son? And, and this was a guy who lived in a godly man's home and, and lived in a, a godly household, I guess you could say. And he didn't want to do that. 
He wanted to sow his wild oats. He wanted to live without any rules or regulations. And so he went to his dad one day and he said, Dad, I'm tired of waiting on you to die. I really would like for you to go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance right now. But you know what his father did? He wrote him a check. So there you go. You know what the boy then did? He ran as far away from his daddy as he could get. And he lived a wild lifestyle, spent all the money. And guess what happened? When the money ran out, a famine set in. The next thing you know, he's on the brink of starvation. You know what the Bible said? He, he found himself in a crisis. You know what the Bible said? At that point, he came to his senses and said, you know what I need to do? I need to go back. Sometimes God allows a crisis to develop right in our pathway as we're trying to get away from him. You know, maybe it's bankruptcy. Maybe it's a failed business. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's some kind of catastrophic illness. I don't know. But something happens, and at that moment, our eyes are open. We realize, I'm not going the right way. And we start to turn in the direction of God. We can't outrun him, so here's what I'm suggesting. Why don't we start running from him and start running to him? Why don't we turn around and do our best to make our way back to him? Which brings us to fact number four. Reconciliation requires a little help. Now, here's, here we go. Everybody bear down mentally. because this, I'm going to spend more time on this one. Ready? I want you to whisper this little prayer in my heart. God, help me stay awake. Got it? There's one. God. Help me focus on what you're saying to me through him. Got it? That's two. Three. God, help me get this. Help me get this. We all need someone who will help us reconcile with God. We can't do it on our own. We saw that in the last sermon uh, in the book of Philemon. Paul and Onesimus recognized that the right thing for Onesimus to do was to go back to Colossae and reconcile with his estranged master. Simple, right? Son, you've got to go back and reconcile with him. Simple, right? Just pack your things, go home, and report for work. Just pick up where you left off. Start over, right? Wrong. There was a huge problem that had to be solved before the two could be reconciled. Onesimus had a huge legal problem. He had committed crimes against Philemon and was now under legal obligation to pay for his crimes. There could be no reconciliation. All this was taken care of. And Onesimus couldn't take care of it himself. Paul recognized this. And he stepped in and said, let me get involved. I want to help. I want to do my best to solve this unsolvable legal problem that's keeping the two of you apart. So what did Paul do? He said, I want to be your substitute. Paul saw substitution as the solution to this problem. Now, pull back in, reel back in. Paul saw substitution as the solution to Onesimus' legal problem. Let me explain myself. I want us to read a couple of verses from Philemon again that we read the last time we were in this book. Philemon 18 and 19. Remember, Paul's wanting the two of these, guy, these two guys to reconcile. He, he sees that there's something in between them. He's trying to fix it. He says, he writes in the letter to Philemon, if he, speaking of Onesimus, has wronged you in any way or owes you 
anything. Charge that to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'll repay it. What's Paul requesting? He's asking Philemon to transfer all Onesimus' guilt to him. In essence, he's saying, consider me to be the one who wronged you. Consider me to be the thief. Consider me to be the one who owes you a substantial amount of money. You put his debt on my tab, and I promise you, I'll make that right. What's Paul doing here? He's making himself a substitute for Onesimus so that hopefully he can solve Onesimus' legal problems. If Philemon honored these requests and made the transfer of what happened to Onesimus' crime, what happened to his obligation to the law, what happened to the debt that he owed, think about it. If Philemon was willing to make these transfers, Onesimus had committed no crimes. Paul had. Right? Right? I'll take responsibility for the crimes. If Philemon made these transfers, Onesimus has no trouble with the law. Paul does. If Philemon made these transfers, Onesimus doesn't owe Philemon a nickel. Paul does. Now, let's talk about me and you. We've all treated God much like Onesimus treated Philemon. We've all wronged him. Amen. Say amen. Nod. Do something. We've all wronged him. At some point in our lives, we all ran from him. At some point in our lives, we all ended up far away from him. Hopefully, we've come to a place in our journey where we want to reconcile with God. If so, how do you do that? Just start over. Right? Turn over a new leaf. Break some old habits. Not going to get drunk anymore. No more lying. No more adultery. Build some new habits. Start going to church. Start reading the Bible. Going to listen to Christian music. Just start over, right? Wrong. That won't work. You say, why not, Ronnie? We've got a huge problem. <laughs> what kind of problem? We've got a huge legal problem. We all broke the law. Whose law? God's law. We violated the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, and in doing so, we've committed crimes not so much against our neighbor as we did God. And what does the Bible call these crimes? Somebody help me. Sin. And what is the penalty for sin? Romans 6.23, the Apostle Paul said, the wages of the penalty of sin is death. We've all really violated God's law, and we were all really obligated to pay the penalty for our crimes. Well, say that again. We are all... Really, we all really violated God's law, and we were all really obligated to pay the penalty for our sins. We can't ignore that. And God won't ignore that. You go, what? God wrote the law. 
You ever looked at the law and went, that's just not fair. That's unreasonable. You know, but God wrote the law. And not only did he write the law, he's the righteous judge. That means that he's the lawgiver, but he's also the law enforcer. That's why God could not just look the other way and ignore our sins. He couldn't just say, I'm just going to, you know, I love Hodge, so I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. I'm going to let that slide. He can't. He wrote the law. But it's his job to enforce the law. God is under legal obligation to see to it that the demands of the law are satisfied. And what did the law demand? It demanded your execution. And mine. It demanded that we be executed for the crimes we committed against God. Mankind had a huge problem. A colossal legal problem. And until the problem was solved, there could be no reconciliation between God and man. So what's the solution to our problem? Now, we've got our ideas and we've got some things we tried. Let me, let me, let me run three by you. Let me tell you what we, we have tried in order to solve this legal problem. Okay, yeah, Sin's in the way. The law's in the way. The penalty for sin is in the way. Uh, how do we fix that? Let me, something, let me tell you something that we've tried. Religion. Well, if I will go to church, it's going to fix this. Uh, better yet, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose me a brand. I'm going to be a Baptist. Or I'm going to be a Presbyterian. I might be a Lutheran. I'm going to be a Church of God. I'm going to, I'm going to have me a brand. I'm going to be baptized. I may even have me a title within the brand. I might be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. Or a choir director. Religion's going to fix this for me. Some people... No, no, no. I don't know about religion, but I tell you what, morality will work. I'm about to change. Uh, there's some bad things that I've done for quite a while now, and I'm going to stop some of those bad things. I'm going to taper off on some of those bad things, might eliminate some of those bad things altogether, and then I'm going to just switch you know, gears, and I'm going to do some good things. And this is what we think. We think if we do this and come to the end of our days, and we're going to stand before God, and he's got this set of scales, and go, Hodge, you, this was bad. That was bad. Oh, son, that was really bad. Really, none of the scales are going down. And then there came, there came that turning point in your life, and you, Hodge, this was good. This was good. I always want to tell you, son, this was really good. And you want to see the scales coming up? The, 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 good, the good gets about right there, and God says, okay, good outweigh the bad you're in. We tried that. We tried that. I think the other thing is good works. If I will give away money to the poor, if I'll chop that wood of some firewood, if I will volunteer my time at the soup kitchen, this is going to solve my legal problem. We've tried those things, and guess what? They don't work. You say, why not? They don't change that we're the fact that we're lawbreakers who've been sentenced to die. Let's just imagine that this afternoon I commit murder. And if my neighbor's dog doesn't stop barking, this is a real possibility. (laughs) So if you know them, you might want to call them this afternoon. And uh, and let's say I go over there and I I wipe them out. And I'm arrested. 
And I'm tried and convicted of murder and I'm sentenced to die. But somehow O'Hodge manages an escape. And I make my way to British Columbia. So if, if this ever happens, you're going to know where they can find me. I'll be in a remote town in British Columbia. Trout fishing. And let's say after three or four years, I go, man, I want to go home. I miss home. And I just, I, I'm going to go home and just start over. So I drive all the way from British Columbia, Canada, back to Wahala. I walk in the house and go, honey, I'm home. What's for supper? I show up here on Monday morning, walk into a staff meeting. Guys, you wouldn't believe, I've had some great ideas for sermon series. Can I do that? No. I got a legal mess that's got to be resolved before I can start over. I committed a crime. I broke the law and I've been sentenced to die. I can't ignore that. And the law won't ignore that. So, what's the solution? Substitution is the solution. You got that? Write that down. That's quote. That's worthy of, remem- of remembering. Substitution is the solution for the legal problems that kept us and God separated. We needed somebody to step in and solve our legal problem, and who was that going to be? Jesus. And how did Jesus solve our legal problems? Jesus did for us what Paul did for Onesimus. He became our substitute. Have you ever wondered why Jesus died? I mean, if God is God, why can't he just say, I forgive, don't worry about it? Why didn't he just do that? I used to have people tell me, Ronnie, do you know that Jesus died for you? I'd go, yeah. And then I would think, but I don't understand why that went down. And I never understood what Jesus had to do, his death had to do with me and God working things out. Well, I want the Bible to speak to us this morning, and I want the Bible to answer these questions for us. Why did he die? Why did he die for us? And what has that got to do with, with us working things out with God? Now, we're going to, this verse is going to the screen. We're going to take our time. We're going to read these, Okay. Oh, we got 10 minutes, and it's just doing nothing but raining. All your plans are canceled, so just hang with me. You ready? I want you to read these verses. Let's start with John 15, verses 12 and 13. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. And then he said, "Uh, let me tell you how I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. What he's saying is, I want you to love people the way I love you, and I'm about to show you how I love you. They're about to put a gun to my head and make me go to a cross. Somebody's twisting my arm and making me do No, no, what'd he say? What'd he say? I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm willingly stepping into a place that was meant for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Apostle Paul said, for God made Christ, you see this next phrase, who never sinned, never. 
He made Him to be an offering for our sin. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. 1 Peter 3.18. I'm going to read the first portion of this. Christ suffered for our sins. Once for all time. He never sinned. But He died for... And what are we? Sinners. Why did He do that? To bring you safely home to God. You get you seeing this? First Peter 2.24. He, speaking of Jesus, personally carried our sins where in His body, where on the cross. Why? So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Galatians 3.13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse or penalty pronounced by the law. When? When he was hung on the cross, how he took upon himself the curse or penalty for our wrongdoing. John 1, 29. The next day, John, speaking of John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. Colossians 2, 14 says... He, speaking of God, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. You getting it? You seeing it? Romans 3, verse 23 through 24, for everyone has sinned. We've read this verse this moment. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But yet, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from what? The penalty of our sins. Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us once we had our lives straightened out and we were really good people. Did I read that right? He showed his love for us by sending his son to die for us when we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Now, you're still with me, aren't you? Here's what we learned from those verses. God wanted to reconcile with the human race. He did. But there was an enormous problem. Mankind had what appeared to be an unsolvable legal problem. Sin, guilt, the law, and sin's penalty were in the way, preventing the reconciliation from taking place. So Jesus offered to mediate between God and man in an effort to fix the problem. He volunteered himself to serve as a substitute for the entire human race. He was willing to assume full responsibility for all of our sins. You getting this? This had to have happened at some point in heaven. Jesus must have looked at the Father and said... I know how to fix this. You send me to earth. I won't commit one sin that I have to pay for myself. And while I'm there, I will assume full responsibility for all of their sins. And once I do, I'll settle things with the law. I'll die in their place. So he was willing to do that? Yes, he was. Now that blows my mind, but it really blows my mind that he would make that 
suggestion to the father. And the father would go, okay, I'll do it. Now, if my son had come to me and said, Dad, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take full responsibilities for the sin of Wahala. And I'm going to die in their place so that they could one day be one with God again. As his daddy. You know what I'd say, Burl? Oh, no, you're not. I'm your dad, and you're going to do what I say, and you're not doing it. God let him do it. God willingly transferred all the sins of the human race over to the account of Jesus Christ. You say, when did that happen? When Jesus was on the cross, God considered his son to be the only sinner who ever lived. Guilty of every sin committed by the human race. When he was on the cross, Jesus not only took responsibility for our sins, he took responsibility to settle our debt to the law, and that's exactly what he did. He died for us. He died in our place, he took our sins, and then he took our punishment. The innocent died for the guilty. In doing this, Jesus took sin out of the way, the law out of the way, and sin's penalty out of the way. As our substitute, Jesus solved our legal problems. Ron, does that mean we're all reconciled to God? No, not yet. It does, however, mean that we can all be reconciled with God. Through his sacrificial death, Jesus cleared the path and made a way for all people to return to God. Reconciliation requires a little help. And the help came from Jesus. And it requires more than that. It requires something from us. Reconciliation also requires a little faith. And we're going to talk about that next week. But before I let you go, I got a question for you. Why? God and His Son stepped in And got involved. And at great personal expense, solved our legal problem. Why did they do that? Did they have to? No. Not at all. Why did they do it? Do you remember why Paul stepped in and said, I'll become a substitute for Onesimus? Do you remember why that was? It's because he loved him. Love compelled Paul to step in and become a substitute for Onesimus. You know what? You know why Jesus stepped in and took your sins and took your place and died your death? You know why he did it? Love compelled him to do that. That's how much Jesus loves you that he was willing to do that in an effort to solve your legal problems. Why would the Father step back and let this happen? I mean, why didn't God rush? To the, to the cross and say, stop it. I will not watch this anymore. I will not allow my son to go through this. Stop it. Why didn't he stop it? We just read in Romans 5, 8, God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. You know, you know how much God loves you? 
You know how desperately he wants to be reconciled to you? He was so desperate that the two of you be one again. That he willingly let his son come to this earth. And though he was innocent, he treated him as though he was guilty. And for those moments on the cross, God's wrath was directed at his own boy. Even as though his own boy had never wronged him. So that he could pave a way that you could get back to him. That's how much he loves you. God and his son solved your unsolvable legal problem because they love you. Don't ever forget that. So, reconciliation requires a little help, and that help came from Jesus. Reconciliation requires a little faith, and that's your part, and we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray together. Well, this might be a great, great moment that you could share with God. Understanding all that that He's done for you. And why? Maybe this is a fitting place to say thank you. Thank you, God, because without you and without the involvement of your son, if you guys didn't love me the way that you love me, I would be hopelessly lost. Because you solved a problem for me that I never could have solved. Help me not to take you for granted. Help me not to take this for granted. As a matter of fact, help me get to a place where I love you in some way that's similar to the way you love me. Father, this all is hard for me to comprehend. It's hard for me to understand the kind of love you love me with. Because I know me. And I know what I am. And I know you know me. And you know what I am. And in spite of it, you love me enough to do this for me. Thank you, God. In Christ's name we all say, thank you, God. Amen. You are free to go. Coming back next week? Good. I'll see you then.